Amen. Good morning. Grab a seat. My name is Ben, one of the pastors here at Oak Church. You got a copy of the scriptures you can turn or tap your way to? Proverbs. You knew that was coming. Uh, we're still in Proverbs. We're thinking about anger today from the book of Proverbs. Maybe not something that we think about enough. Maybe something that when we talk about it, it just makes you so angry that you wish we wouldn't talk about it. All the more evidence that we need to be thinking about anger and what the scripture teaches us about it. If you've got a copy of the scriptures, turn or tap to Proverbs. If not, please don't panic. We'll have those words on the screen. Love to give you a copy of the Bible in a modern English translation uh, on your way out. So when I think about anger and I try to put together as well as I can what I think the Bible teaches about it, the biggest illustration I've got is the first time I shot a gun. I don't know if you remember, uh, if you've ever shot a gun, you probably do remember the first time you shot a gun. For me, it was a little 22 rifle, which in the world of guns is kind of the BB gun side of things, but it was still a gun. It still used gunpowder. It still had weight to it. And I remember holding that rifle, feeling the weight of it, and realizing as I'm holding it, like, okay, I've got to point it away from people because this could do some damage. I remember feeling the, the kick when you pull the trigger. You feel the weight, you feel the kick, you hear that noise. And you see, you know, if you're a good enough shot, what you want to go away, go away. I don't know how you feel about guns, but there's no question, there's no argument. They're extremely fun. Uh, if you ever go and just go shoot one, it's a trip. It's a rush, it's exciting, it's fun. Uh, but it's also dangerous, it's powerful. You have to be very careful. There's a lot of safety involved because you can do some damage. And if you think about anger, I think most of us kind of wonder what it's for. The Bible is clear that anger is not a sin, though it can be used sinfully, just like anything else God's given us. But it's not actually a sin to be angry. Okay, well, then why did God give it to us? Because most of the time when I see people being angry... It's not a good thing. Most of the time when I feel myself growing into an intense anger, man, it is not a good or godly thing. So why did God give us anger and what are we supposed to use it for? Well, the Proverbs gives us lots of different understanding about the wrong way and some of the things that can come once we control our anger. It says in Proverbs 29, 22, a man of wrath stirs up strife. And one given to anger causes much transgression. Now, we see that. I think we get that. Most of the stuff you did that you didn't want to do, you're probably a little bit angry for. But the Bible also says things like Proverbs 19.11, good sense makes one slow to anger. It's his glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 16.32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. So it doesn't say is never angry. It does say is slow to anger. God has given us this anger and there is a time to use it. Now you got to be careful with when you use it. You got to be judicious with understanding a situation well, discerning, slow to decide. And then when it's time to then employ anger the way God's given us to use it. If it is like gunpowder, it's something that has a lot of power to it. 
God put us in the world and he, he told us it was our job to take that garden and to expand it, to keep it and to expand it, to multiply and fill the earth. Well, if you're going to do that, there's some times when you need to get stuff out of the way. We got to drive on our way back from Colorado City through the tunnels there in Zion National Park. If you ever go through there, it's awesome. But it's not a cave. It's a tunnel. It had to be drilled. It had to be uh, excavated. And part of how you do that, man, you got to blow some stuff up. And it's probably awesome, uh, but it's also pretty dangerous. you got to know exactly when, exactly where to place that charge and then have the Wiley Coyote box, boom, and they get something done. So I want us to see anger. I want us to see it positively and negatively so that being slow to anger, we also do use it. Do use it to motivate us, to focus us, to do what God has called us to do, to get out in the world and make some changes. Now, if you say to yourself, I'm not really an angry person, I would agree. I don't think of myself as an angry person either. The only time I've ever punched a hole in drywall, it was actually... Um, that's kind of in my head what angry people do. <laughs> I know you can be angry and not do that, but that's what I think of as angry. And they punch the hole in the drywall and hope they don't hit a stud. Uh, the only time I've done that, we were playing this game. It was called Spud. It's, you play it on a pool table. I don't know if you've ever done it. You have to run around quite a bit, though. And I, I hit the shot. I did what I intended to do, but I fell as I did it. And I left a perfect bottom hole in the drywall. My butt went into the drywall, and it left. You could see what my butt looked like. It was exactly that. Uh, my buddy Blake Garner, his dad, had to fix it. <laughs> so I, I get it. If you feel like you're not an angry person, I don't think of myself as an angry person either. But angry doesn't always mean loud fireworks. It's not always an explosion. It can also be a slow burn. Do you ever get bitter? Uh-oh. There's quiet in here because it's usually pretty quiet, and then there's sometimes quiet in here because you're like, oh. I think that was the second one. Yeah, you ever get bitter? Are there ever people that you just don't want to be around anymore ever again? Okay, that's anger. Let's connect it to last week. Do you ever slander people? We'll talk about in Ephesians later on that Paul kind of puts the three together, the explosive anger, the bitter sort of slow burn anger, and slander. I don't think of myself as an angry person, but a lot of times I'll go home at night and me and my wife will have these conversations and, oh man, I'm being pretty critical of this person. I'm tearing down this person and I'm not doing it physically. I'm not assaulting them physically. I'm not even assaulting them verbally to their face. Man, that's evidence of anger. Do you see that in your own life? If you do, you got something that we need to fix. And what is anger? Anger is not just this sort of illustration of gunpowder. Specifically, anger is, according to David Pallison, great biblical counselor guy, he said, anger is our God-given capacity to respond to a wrong that we think is important. That definition is super helpful. It's a God-given capacity. It can be very good. It's miraculous. It's from him. But it's, a, it's a, a capacity to respond to a wrong, and then here's the big hinge point right there, that we think is important. So it's something that God's given us to go out and do something big, but it's all based on what we consider important. It's all based on our assessment of the situation and the world around us. 
Ed Welch says another way I think is helpful. He says, anger says, you are wrong and I am right. Well, maybe. (laughs) Are you right? Did you discern this situation well? As you start digging in and seeing these definitions, I think you'll start to see that they do help you in a really clear way understand your own heart. Because it doesn't just tell you about anger. When you find what you get angry about, it tells you what you value. Man, you think about the times you get angry. It tells you something about what you consider to be under threat and you needed to protect. Some wrong thing, meaning some transgression, some line that was stepped over that you find very important. You know, you think about anger as like, man, I'm going to get into a fight, and the, the kind of the um, fantasy version of it is some sort of a home invasion, and you protect your family, and God gives you anger in that moment to, you know, like throw things around and swing a bat or pull out your guns or whatever and like defend your house. And it's like, yeah, that's cool. Because what do you value in that moment? You value your stuff, but you also value like your family, your wife and kids. You want to protect them. That's good. The value there is obvious. But think about a more normal moment when you get angry. You ever go to Handel's ice cream? It's great. They got a lot of good flavors, but they've only got like one size, which is gallon. Like they don't give you a normal amount of ice cream or give you options in ice cream sizes. It's always multiple scoops in a like tower that they give you. Which, okay, you know, I can deal with it. Uh, but if you're going to tower, you've got to have some integrity to the tower. And my wife and I went to a Handles, and this young man, which, you know, that's who you get to work in these places, he puts in the first scoop, he puts in the second scoop, he puts the third scoop on sideways. <laughs> and then offers me a cone that had like a shape to it. So I said, no, you've got to fix that. I can't take that. And he just held it. He couldn't even respond. He didn't know what to say. (laughs) So then I started to get angry because he didn't fix it right then. He didn't just take his scoop and fix it. He didn't get a new one. He didn't start over. He didn't grab it with his hand and fix it. I don't know. Do something. You can't give me one that's going to fall off on my shoe. I can't have 30% of what I just paid for go away. I can't walk around like an idiot trying to eat it as fast as I can. You got to fix it. And I'm getting so mad at him just not responding, giving me nothing to work with, as though I'm in, like, cuckoo land. Okay, but what, what is the value that I'm getting so upset about? I'm mad because he doesn't respond to me. Okay, I'm mad because he doesn't consider me as important as I consider me. I'm mad because he doesn't consider my ice cream experience as important as I consider my ice cream experience. So, here comes the gunpowder. Okay, well, that's wrong. <laughs> that's, that's dumb. That's wrong. That's me showing that I have pride in my life. I don't value this individual. I don't have a humility that sees my own sort of shoddy workmanship as a young man. I'm getting angry and I'm sinning. That's not something that I should do because it's showing me something that I should not value. Again, Proverbs, Proverbs 14, 29 says, whoever's slow to anger has great understanding. 
Now, you go through enough of these moments where you see yourself get angry and it wasn't a good way to be angry. You see enough of these moments where you're sinfully angry. You start to gain an appreciation for, I might not be right here. So I'm going to be slow to anger. I'm going to put some speed bumps. I'm going to put a ramp before my anger so that I can really evaluate. Because he who has a hasty temper exalts in folly. If you've been reading the Proverbs, you know that that's kind of the damning word that you get in Proverbs, foolishness, the opposite of wisdom. And it's not just silly foolishness. I love silly. It's no, it's, it's death. It's the opposite of wisdom, meaning not life, but death. Proverbs 16, 2, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Uh-oh. Yeah, I know you think you're right. You wouldn't be angry if you didn't think you were right. But you're wrong. (laughs) God weighs your heart. I know you think you're right. But we need the humility to stop ourselves, to be slow in our anger and take a moment and realize that what I want may not be what I should want. James 4 helps us see our heart really carefully, really closely. Again, James being sort of a mirror of Proverbs in the New Testament, it says... What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Anger among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. You see anger in the wrong ways, that we value things we shouldn't value that we fight for things that shouldn't be fought for. We desire and we don't have because God's not going to let us have this thing that we desire that we shouldn't desire. Our passion's at war within us. And in our pride, we walk through the world, and as soon as somebody steps on that beautiful ego, that beautiful image that we have of ourselves, boom, Hulkmania. We've got to go a different way. There is a right way, even a heroic way to go about anger. I was thinking about this um, movie Rachel and I watched recently, and it's a fiction movie about the future. So, you know, but the, the guy, the main protagonist gets conscripted. There's some sort of a draft and he gets forced into the military. And there's the, the way they kind of play that moment. It's not very like 1940s Captain America moment. It's very like, oh my gosh, the government infringing on my rights moment. And it was kind of a weird thing. And I felt kind of both sides of like duty but desire. And oh gosh, you know, what would I do in that moment? That'd be intense. And then you watch the guy go through the movie and, you know, again, it's science fiction. But that really did happen. You really did have a lot of guys that were just guys, and then they got drafted. You have a lot of guys that jumped in, they joined in, and they did it out of principle, not necessarily because they saw themselves as these like lifelong military-type people. They just said, hey, this is something that needs to be done. If I can add to, if I can help in that service, I'm going to. And so they jump in. And in the course of that military career, there may be times where they're called upon to take a life. Well, that's not murder. Look at what murder actually is. 
You go into some kind of a, a, a time when somebody actually gets to the point that they take a life, whether it's out of anger or it's something real cold and bitter, whether it's just for hire, you know, I don't know. But you actually do, you take a life. I know what you did was right in your own eyes. That's why you decided to do it. But it's illegal. It's punishable by death. It's in the Ten Commandments as something that God hates. Well, what's the difference? The difference is in the authority. They're both doing, in some ways, the same action, but where one person needs to go to jail or even the electric chair, the other person is heroic and gets lauded by his community. What's the difference? It's the authority. It's the one who had the right way of going about that anger, of going about that action. The problem with us is that we take God's place. We jump in and decide that we are going to judge what is right and what is wrong. We become like murderers. It says again in James 4, later in the chapter, in verses 11 and 12, verses we talked about last week, don't speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Do you see what he said? That when you jump in to decide that you're right in your own eyes, you're going to do things your own way, you're going to take justice into your own hands, that you're going to be angry to defend yourself and your way of doing things, you are not only judging that person, you're judging the God who decides what really is right and really is wrong. You're not just judging the person. You're, you're standing up and you're trying to judge the law. If you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law. You're setting yourself up in your own law as your own judge over and against God because there's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Ooh, that anger. That anger. It's not just that I maybe raised my voice. It's not just that I said something rude. It's also that I'm setting myself up as God, that I'm choosing to be my own judge and lawmaker. Man, it's always a sin to jump into God's place. It goes all the way back to the garden where the enemy said that you could be like God, knowing good from evil. Again, Pallison, he says, whether you're angry about something trivial or something serious, your wrong reaction reveals that you are living as if you are in charge of the world. You believe you have the right to judge the people around you and the way God is running the world. Now, again, we're not saying there's no such thing as judgment. The world says that there are no rules. Everybody does what's right in their own eyes. We don't agree with that. We say there's a God and he's the judge. The Pharisees say we're going to write our own rules. We're going to start with what God said and we're going to take it to a whole new place so that you have to convince not only God of your holiness, but us, righteous. No, 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 no. We're not going to do either one of those things. We don't say that there are no rules. We don't say that we write the rules. We say that there is one God and one lawmaker, one judge of the universe. And the way in which our emotions impact the world around us is either going to follow God in his ways or not. You're either going to be uh, heroic or you're going to be a murderer. We have to go about it a different way. We have to act in our anger more like God acts in his anger. And yes, God is angry in scripture. But the way he goes about showing that anger is very different from the way that we do. 
Let's evaluate it and understand it. This is going to be our model for how we are going to be angry. The way that God deals with his anger is that he is first patient. He's very patient. If you've been reading our Bible plan as Hope Church for this year, we're trying to read through the Old Testament, you see again and again and again, not the judgment of God. That's the highlights. People talk about the Old Testament God and he's so judgmental and he's so angry. Yeah, that happens. But if you actually read the Old Testament, and it takes a minute, it's a long thing. If you actually read the Old Testament, what you see more than the judgment is over and over and over again how God relents from his judgment, how he is patient and slow to anger. The people that are actually there get that about God. It says in Jonah 4, (laughs) you ever read the story about Jonah, this poor guy? I mean, he hates these people and he wants to go about his hate and peace. And God instead sends him to go and preach to those people. And he's angry about it because he don't want to see God forgive these people. But he goes because of, you know, a whale situation. He ends up in Nineveh. He preaches about the shortest message he could possibly preach. And see, you think when I preach long that I don't care about you and I'm just doing what I want. Apparently, if I wanted to really be mad at you, I'd just preach just five words and walk out of here. Now, maybe it would be as effective as Jonah and I should look into it and maybe you'd be happy with that sermon. But what he does is a very short sermon to these people because he doesn't care about them and he kind of hopes that they get judged and burned. So, preaches a sermon, then leaves and he goes and he sits and he waits. He's hoping. He did everything he could. He checked the box. God made him check. But he, he preached the shortest sermon he could, hoping that these people would not repent and that God would destroy him. But they repent. They put on sackcloth. They put dust on their head. And God relents. And there's this other thing that he uses to show Jonah his anger. But, but at the end of that, Jonah 4, it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to go the other way to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You relent from disaster. And this, again, oh, my gosh. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Whoa! Okay, contrast, right? Look at the difference between unrighteous anger and righteous anger. You have Jonah who doesn't want to live in a world where his enemies are forgiven. And you have God who is so patient, who is so slow in his anger. That when they repent, he's able to give them, by his kindness, by his goodness, he's able to give them mercy. And what is mercy? Pallison, again. Mercy is a way of looking at something that is wrong and saying, I'm going to tackle that and make it better. The mercy of God, listen to this two-word phrase, is a constructive displeasure. That's really good. I think that's like at the heart of what it is to be an adult, be a parent. Whoa, right? Wow, there's a lot going on here. We're going to be constructive, but we're going to keep in view what we need to fix. 
It's a constructive displeasure, and it's what God has towards us, that he is so slow in his anger. He is willing to show us mercy, that he is willing to get in there and try and make something better, trying to fix something wrong. And that's at the heart of what we preach as the gospel. Every week when we say that we're broken people and we need God to put us back together, we are admitting, we're confessing the heart of the gospel, that we need God to fix us. You don't come to Hope Church because you're perfect. You come to Hope Church because you're not. If you're perfect, hey, go for it. But you're not. You know that you're not. We need a Savior. We need mercy. We need something to put us back together. God is not just patient and merciful, but He's also forgiving. And this gets into the crux of how he brings about that reconstruction, how he brings about a new person. See, when you can forgive somebody, you can't just walk past it. We think of forgiveness as though it's just this light switch. You just flip the switch of forgiveness and all of a sudden it's all better and everything's all done. And you have those little things about, oh man, you don't forgive. That's like drinking poison yourself and hoping it hurts the other person. Man, you should forgive. Like, duh, you should forgive. Well, if you've ever actually had something to forgive someone of, something big, it doesn't work like that. It's not a weight that you just set down. It's a pain. It's a pain that you choose to bear instead of trying to continue to force them to pay for it. Do you understand that that's exactly what happened when Christ goes to the cross? If God's going to make a way for us to be forgiven, he's got to take that pain on himself to choose to accept our deserved punishment. Do you understand that that's why God so closely connects, excuse me, connects his forgiveness of us with our forgiveness of others. If you understand the one, you'll understand the other. If you don't understand the one, you don't understand the other. Jesus in the Lord's Prayer is something he's intending us to be praying regularly. Not exactly the words, maybe, but certainly the idea says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts immediately as we also forgive our debtors. That's what God has done for us. You think about your anger towards somebody else. Stop for a second and understand how angry God should be at you. That's what we mean when we say sin. We mean that he, we have broken his law. We've done something wrong. And as the judge and the lawgiver, he has every right. More than that, if he's righteous, he must See our sin with holy wrath, holy anger. Well, what's he going to do about it? He could burn us all. Or being patient, being merciful, making a way for forgiveness. He could make us his family. That's what he does. It's a constructive displeasure. He could make us cinders, 
but instead he makes us sons and daughters. We sang about beauty for ashes. What do you, what do you think that means? I had no idea for a long time. Still not sure how well I grasp it, <laughs> but I think what it means is this sort of dichotomy. You can either be ashes or being forgiven, being remade. You can be glorious, made beautiful, made his child, made his bride, made his in his presence forever. (laughs) That's the heart of the gospel. If you've accepted that, I pray that you would. If you're evaluating it, great, take your time, let me help. But if you've accepted that, then the cornerstone of who you are proves that anger needs to be slow, that patience needs to be constant, so that being imitators of him, you might actually bring about some of the same work that he brought about. Yeah, you should have just been toasted. Me too. But instead, because he's patient, because he's made a way of forgiveness, because he's enticed us with his love, he has made us into something wonderful. Not yet, but slowly now, and then perfectly. Again, it's captured so perfectly in Ephesians. It says in Ephesians 4, 31 to 5, 2, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from among you. Look what it's saying. Loud, clamorous anger, quiet, poisonous bitterness, backroom slander. However that anger is expressed, let it get put away from you. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, quickly forgiving one another because God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. Do you see the difference? Do you see it's, it's A or B? We have to choose. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take time, whether it's this afternoon or tomorrow, you'll forget after that. This afternoon or tomorrow, I want you to take a piece of paper and write out, or a note on your app or whatever, and type something, and write out the last five times you got angry. You can't think of them? Okay, hey, this is a blind spot for you. The next five times you get angry, write them down, and then start answering some questions. Ask yourself, how did I react? Did I get loud? Did I get mad in a, in a very vocal way? Did I get bitter? Did I smile and then walk away knowing that I'm going to kill those people if I ever get the chance? <laughs> or did you slander? Did you start texting somebody about them? How does anger manifest in your life? Okay, good. Now you got a way to start seeing it, start understanding it. And instead... Take a moment to go back to the gospel and understand how God kindly, tenderheartedly forgave you. Apply the gospel to yourself so that you can apply that same love to them. Be imitators of God in the way that you love, forgive them. Once you do that, you're going to have some practice in understanding how to begin walking in love rather than this judgmental anger. 
hey, man, if we become a people that do that well, don't you see how it preaches the gospel? Hey, I, I expected them to get mad at me, but they didn't. Why? Oh, I pray. Let's pray now. Lord and Heavenly Father, we pray that you would make us a people who do gospel anger well. Lord, that we're angry at sin when we see it. We're slow to anger, we're discerning, but when we see it, we get angry the way you do, Lord, which is we become patient, we become merciful, we find ways to forgive. Lord, understanding that there will be a day when those who, who really have transgressed and refused that forgiveness, there will be a day, Lord, where they're not sons anymore, when they really do reject you. So we, we're going to trust you with eventual wrath. In the meantime, Father, I pray that you would teach us how, trusting you with the future, that we would be loving and forgiving now. We pray that you would draw us to yourself and draw us to that gospel, that beautiful picture of how you traded wrath that we deserved for a forgiveness and a new life that we never could. Pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen.